Grab your Bible and turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Three years ago, my wife Amber and I bought our first home. And those of you who have purchased a home know that it is quite a process, like particularly here in Johnson County where it's really intense. There's high demand, there's high competition, it's crazy. So we spent a few months really looking at different homes, learning about what kind of homes we wanted, what we needed, and our realtor was really helpful to teach us about what to look for. I remember one particular time we looked at a home that had been remodeled and updated, had a lot of good space, and yet it had a really affordable price. So I asked my realtor, I said, hey, this home is incredible, but why is it so cheap? And he said, well, it's a good question. Let me show you. And he took us down to the basement, and he pointed to these huge cracks on the walls. And he said, the reason this home is so cheap is because it has a bad foundation. And that was, I found out, a deal breaker. Because everyone knows a bad foundation means big problems. doesn't matter how renovated the kitchen is, how fresh the paint and carpet is, how big the back porch is. When a home has a damaged foundation, the whole thing could collapse. The foundation is the most important part of a home. This is why it's the first thing they lay down when they build. Everything else goes on top of that. So it is vital that a home have a strong and healthy foundation. That's not just true of homes. It's also true of us in our church. If we're going to grow and be the church that God has called us to be, we have to have a strong and healthy foundation. So what is that? What is our foundation? Well, we could rightly say that Jesus is our foundation. Ephesians chapter 2 says that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. We could also say that the gospel is our foundation. Uh, that, that good news message that Jesus says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that it is of first importance. But there's something else the Bible describes as foundational to our lives and our churches, and that something is the Word of God. Here at Blue Valley, we believe that to be the 66 books of the Bible. We believe these words to be the truth with a capital T. Our church's statement of faith says this about Scripture. It says, The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. Because the Bible is God's revelation of himself to us, because it's the source of truth for our lives and our church, it must be the foundation upon which we build. Jesus used this same imagery in his sermon on the mountain. He wrote and he said in Matthew 7, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The word of God is our foundation. If the church is the body of Christ, if Jesus is our head, then his perfect word is what we stand on. And I want to show you this morning how we make sure that's the case here at Blue Valley. If you've been with us here on Sunday mornings, then you know that we're walking through a four-week series called DNA. We're reminding ourselves of our 12 core values as a church. Because we said from the beginning that values are the why behind what you do. Everyone has values, businesses, churches, people, whether we state them clearly or not. And what we value determines what we do and how we do it. So we need to know what those values are. We need to be reminded of them, and that's what we are doing in this church year. 
In fact, once this series is over today, you're going to be hearing in your Sunday school class and in our worship services about one value every month and some ways that you can help to live that value out. That starts next week. But today, we're going to hit our last four values in our last message of this series. And we're going to see why and how the Word of God is the foundation of this church. But first, of course, we need to go to that word now. So look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and let's start in verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These verses right here we just read are very important in the Bible. They are what is known as the Shema. That title, Hebrew word, comes from the first word we translate into English, the word hear. Or we could say listen. The Shema became and still is the most important verses for traditional Jewish people. It became a prayer that Jews have traditionally recited twice a day every day. Jesus picked up on this. He affirmed its importance to Christians as well when he said in Mark 12 that this commandment is the most important commandment of all. So here in Deuteronomy 6, these words are being spoken by Moses to the Israelite people. They just finished wandering around the wilderness for 40 years where most of that original group of people that came out of Egypt, they were dead. They were gone. There was a brand new generation of God's people who were ready to go into the promised land. But right before they went in, Moses stopped, and he gave them a series of speeches reminding them about who God is and what he's done. And that's what Deuteronomy is. And all of it is grounded right here in these words from God through Moses to his people. That first word, shema, or hear, does not simply mean, hey, let these words go into your ear. In Hebrew, the word hear also meant to obey. We understand that. It's, It's not enough to simply hear God's word and just get on with your life. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about in that passage we read in Matthew 7. We don't just need to hear God's words, but we need to do them. And here's what Moses called the Israelite people to hear and to do. He called them to be holy and completely devoted to God. That's what he meant when he said that the Lord is one. Yes, we know that God is one unified God. He's three persons in one. But by saying the Lord is one here, he means one and only. In other words, there is no other God but Yahweh, who's the one true God. That was especially important for the Israelite people to hear because they lived in a time where all the other cultures around them were what we call polytheistic, meaning they had many gods. From Canaan to Egypt, all these nations had a lot of gods. And in fact, the idea of having just one God, that was foreign. That was even a little pathetic in this time. But for Israel, there there was no other way. They'd been called out and rescued by the one true God. They'd been given the law on Mount Sinai by the one true God. So if they wanted things to go well for them, they had to be wholly devoted to the one true God. Notice they were to demonstrate that devotion to God through their love. The Bible often pairs love and obedience together because biblical love is not just a fuzzy feeling. Love is a choice. It's something you do. So Israel was called to love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might. That meant loving God totally with every part of themselves. This was a call from Moses to total devotion to God. It's kind of like a wedding where God and Israel were committing themselves to each other. But sadly, we know Israel could never quite live up to their vows. They were repeatedly drawn to other gods and 
This led ultimately to their destruction, their exile. But we see here that God was not surprised by their rejection of him. He knew they would struggle with this. That's why he gave Moses these next verses. Look at verses 6 through 9. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Here was the key for Israel to stay wholly devoted to God and worship him alone. They had to keep his word. So Moses said, hey, this word it needs to be on your heart. The heart in the Bible was the center of a person. It was the core seat of who they were. God's word needed to be that deeply embedded into them. They didn't need to just know God's word for themselves. They had the crucial task of teaching it to their children. Each generation has the responsibility to pass on God's word to the next. So they needed to talk about God's word at home. They needed to talk about it out in the world and when they laid down to go to bed and when they got up in the morning. In other words, they needed to be reminded of God's word all the time and in every place. Not only did they need to keep the words in their heart, talk about them with others, but they needed to bind them to themselves and their homes. Now, we know some Jewish people took this very literally. They would take these little boxes and strap them to their hands and their foreheads with God's word inscribed on parchment inside. But I don't think that's quite the point. Moses' point here was not to literally attach pieces of paper to you or to literally write them on the walls of your home. The idea is that they should affect every single part of your life. Think about it, your hands, they concern the things you do. So to bind God's word there would be to live out his word with your actions. Your eyes concern the things you see. So to put God's word there would be to see everything through scripture. To write them on your home meant to make these words central to your family, to your life. So Moses called the Israelite people to be wholly devoted to God by keeping his word as the foundation of their lives and community. God is calling us to do the same thing today. The Shema is for Christians too. Jesus made that clear. We too are called to love the Lord and remain devoted only to him by building our lives and our church on his word. So how do we make sure that happens here at Blue Valley? Well, that's where our values come in. So let's look now at the four values, the last four, that speak to our church foundation. Here's the first, number one. We value expository preaching done in a way that enables our post-Christian culture to hear Christ speaking throughout his word. Now, a lot of you hear that term, expository preaching. You may not be very familiar with that. It sounds kind of like some fancy mumbo-jumbo talk. But it's not really a difficult concept to understand. Expository preaching is simply preaching the Bible. Now, everyone says they preach the Bible. But typically, there are two ways for a pastor to approach a sermon. Some preachers start with a topic or an idea that they want to address. Then they go and they find Bible verses that will fit what they want to say. The other way to approach a sermon is, rather than starting with your own idea or what you want to say, you start instead with a passage of Scripture and you let the text determine what you will say. That second way is what we call expository preaching. It's taking a passage from the Bible and making the point of the passage the point of your sermon. It involves explaining what the text means, what God is saying to us today, and then applying it to our lives. 
And there are a lot of different styles and ways to do this. A lot of times here at Blue Valley, we, we typically preach through books of the Bible. It doesn't have to be that way. It is possible, like we're doing today in this series, to preach a topical sermon in an expository way. So long as your message is rooted and grounded in and explaining and applying God's word. So our goal here at Blue Valley when it comes to preaching is to simply preach the Bible. To take what God says in his word, explain it, and then show you how it should change the way you live. And by preaching in this way, this prevents me from standing up and simply giving you my opinions. You don't want to hear those. (laughs) Or just talking about the things that I like. Or jumping on my hobby horse or standing on my soapbox every week. I got a few of those. This also keeps me from saying what I think you want to hear. I got to tell you, it is very tempting to want to please people when I preach. I am naturally, in my sinful flesh, I am a people pleaser. And preaching is my job. My livelihood kind of depends on it. I'm really not good for much else. So I want, I want to do a good job. I want my sermons to be good. I want people to come. I want a church to grow. And that makes it very tempting for me to focus on preaching sermons that will make people feel good. That everyone will love. And say, like, ah, oh, it's good. And they'll agree with everything I say. But I know that will not honor God and will not benefit you or me or this church. I have to preach the word no matter how offensive or out of style it may sound at times. I must preach all of the word, no matter which parts we may seem to find interesting or entertaining or applicable. We desperately need to regularly, regularly hear the word of God proclaimed. And notice I said we. Don't you ever forget I am preaching first and foremost to myself. If I was able to live out and practice everything I preached, I would be Jesus. And I am far from that. I need this word. We need this word. Maybe now more than ever. I believe we reached the day that Paul talked about. He warned Timothy about this in 2 Timothy 4. He said, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Do you think we're there today? I can't tell you how many people over the last few years have hopped from one church to the next, to the next, to the next, especially in 2020, because the preaching didn't accord with their political views, or the pastor made them mad. He wasn't saying the things they thought he should be saying, or he was saying things they thought he should never say. This is what Paul warned us about, looking for the right teacher to tickle, to itch ears, to depart from the word, and to go to myths. That's happening. So one of the ways we make sure the word of God is our foundation of our church and not some pastor's good opinion is by preaching the word. And man, I so appreciate being a part of a church that values that and that also prays for me and encourages me as I try my best to fulfill that task. Here's our second value today, number two. Because the local church should be built on the word of God, we value worshiping in a way that is inclusive of all generations. This value is about our worship ministry. And one thing I discovered when I came to Blue Valley is that we take worship music very seriously. Pastor John, who leads our worship ministry globally, and Jeremy, who leads us here at Ridgeview, they're not just picking songs each week that they like and they think will sound good. No, one unique thing you may not be aware of that we do at Blue Valley is we actually write our sermons 
one month in advance. So it's always funny to me when people come up to me and they say, hey, were you talking about me today? That's just really, I'm like, I wrote this a month ago. I have no idea what's going on with you right now. But the reason we do that is so that Jeremy can have my manuscript. And then he can go and build the service around this passage from God's word that's going to be preached. Did you notice the song, Build My Life? Dude, that was good. See? So Jeremy spends a lot of time thinking through scripture and song lyrics in each of the parts of our service so that everything ties together so that we're all focused on the word. And where some churches primarily choose songs that have an older style, like hymns with an organ, and then some other churches primarily choose songs that are newer and exciting with drums and a guitar. John and Jeremy pick their songs based on the theological truth in the lyrics. They actually have an entire system where they evaluate and rank songs before we ever hear them on Sunday morning. The goal is to make sure our worship on Sundays is built on the foundation of God's word. And we should all be incredibly grateful for God giving us Jeremy to lead us in worship each week. And he's got a nice new haircut today. That was good. I like that. The other thing we see in this value is that we want our worship to be inclusive of all generations. Our goal is not to have music that suits younger people or that suits older people. The goal is to have music that suits God and his glory. So that means we're going to have at times various instruments, various styles. We want songs that everyone can voice in worship to God. We want the people of our church to think less about their personal preferences or how much they like or dislike a song and instead to focus on praising God through the song. Another way we include all generations is by literally having all generations in the room when we worship. This is important to us. We do not want this to just be what we all call this kids, big church. This is not just church for adults. So we have kids in here, and we want to incorporate them in worship. We want them to sing. We want them to listen. Sometimes you'll see students up here singing on the praise team. Sometimes kids will come and read scripture and be involved. That's what we want. It's to be about family, about everybody, all ages together. Just as Moses gave the Shema to the entire Israelite community, young and old, we want to encourage people of all ages to worship God together, and most importantly, to worship him in accordance with the truth of God's word. That's second. Here's our third value today. Because the local church should be built on God's word, number three, we value building small group community through Sunday school. Whenever someone comes to visit our church for the first time, one of the questions I pretty routinely get asked is, do you guys do small groups? And I respond by saying, yes, we do Sunday school. And sometimes people say, oh, great, we've been looking for that. But other times when I say the word Sunday school, I can see on their face a look of disappointment. They're looking for a church that does small groups during the week in people's homes. And let me make clear that there's nothing wrong with that. Whether a small group meets in a home or a church, that's okay. Whether it meets on Sunday morning or Monday night, that's okay too. The Bible doesn't have rules on this. So a lot of churches have home groups, and it works great for them. A lot of churches have no choice but to do that because they may rent out a school for worship on Sunday. They may not have the space to do Sunday school. But let me explain why we're so committed here to Sunday school. Here's why. Because for us... It, it just works. If you read studies on church health, most people will say the goal is to get 50% of your Sunday morning worship attendance to attend a small group during the week. That's the benchmark. 
If you can get half the people to join a small group, that's considered healthy. That's a win. Here at Blue Valley, on an average Sunday, we have 80 to 85% of our worship attendance in Sunday school. I'm not saying our model is necessarily better than others. I'm just saying for us, it works. And here's what we found. Those who are involved in Sunday school tend to be more invested in the church. They tend to feel like this is a part of them. They tend to feel more connected. They serve more. They have deeper relationships. They, they feel cared for when things go wrong. They're more likely to invite other people to come with them. That's because Sunday school is where we do community. Community doesn't happen in rows. It happens in circles. That's where we connect. So when a global pandemic happens, we have a way to keep track of people. And I think Sunday school is one of the reasons we fared through COVID so well. Together, community. Not only is Sunday school beneficial for adults, it's also incredibly beneficial for kids and students. That's because Sunday school isn't just about community and relationships, but it's about studying God's word with other people. So from babies, to preschoolers, to elementary students, to middle school, to high school, to college, to young adults, to senior adults, all of our classes are focused on the Bible. We use a curriculum called the Gospel Project which is designed for classes to go from Genesis to Revelation in three years, all along the way seeing how Christ is the point of the whole Bible. And having that time in the Word in community is so important because unlike a sermon, which is all about listening and taking in, Sunday school is about a time to give, it's a time to think and to ask questions and to wrestle, to challenge one another, to ensure that the Word of God is our foundation. Here's the fourth and last value. Because the local church should be built on the word of God, number four, we value age-graded ministry that complements the spiritual leadership of parents and that disciples the next generation of Jesus' followers. This one is near and dear to my heart. Many of you know I spent my first nine years in doing student ministry. One thing I think we can all agree on here is that the world and culture our children are growing up in today is a bit more challenging than the one we grew up in, isn't it? From the temptations that technology and social media bring to the cultural lies being screamed at them to the outright rejection of the Christian worldview by most of their peers, it is not easy to be a young Christian today. That's why we see statistically most kids who grow up in church When they leave high school, they leave the church. That's why we see statistically Generation Z is on pace to be the least Christian generation in American history. They say it might be 5%. It's important. So for several years now, people in the church, they've been hearing these statistics, and they've been pushing the panic button. And what we're seeing today is a pivot away from entertaining kids into the church toward equipping kids to be the church. That's what we want to do here. Our job as a church is not to provide free babysitting or Christian entertainment or community service opportunities for kids. Our job is to raise up passionate followers of Jesus who will stand strong for the Lord and send them out with the gospel wherever God takes them. So we don't spend a lot of time or resources packing kids' calendars with fun church stuff like churches once did. That means we will probably never be the coolest church in town or the most fun church to go to, and we're okay with that. Because as you've heard me share, I have been there and done that. I had the most fun youth group ever, and I found it is not the way 
to reach and disciple the next generation. Instead, we put our time and our resources into forming young people into Jesus' followers through his word. That's the key. And don't get me wrong, we still have fun. We're not just having some kind of boring Bible lectures all the time. There's activities, there's food. Those who serve and kids and students will tell you we have a good time. But rather, we just choose to emphasize the teaching of God's word because that's what our young people need. Another key to this value is that we want to complement the spiritual leadership of parents. I want you to listen to me. Listen to me closely here. When it comes to our children's spiritual future, parents, grandparents, we hold the keys. In 10 years, in 20 years, in 50 years, what will make all the difference in whether your child is following Jesus or not will be what you did in your own home. Your daily discipleship of your children, your modeling for them, what it looks like to follow Christ is the most important thing. Yes, bring them to church. Yes, send them to camp. Yes, have them in Sunday school. Those things are important, but they're not enough. That's a couple hours out of a whole week. They're meant to complement what you're already doing day in and day out at home. So this is a partnership. We we saw this just earlier in the baptistry waters. Church and parent working together to raise children in the word. And that's another way we ensure our church is built on this foundation. To close this morning, I want to turn this back to you. We're all the church, individually and together. So how can you help us keep these values? How can you help us ensure that God's word is our foundation? Let me challenge you to start personally. If you don't already, I want to challenge you to make a plan to begin reading God's Word every day. There's so many great Bible reading plans out there. Find one. If you need help, email me and stick with it. Better yet, join or start a D group and read through a Bible reading plan with others that can help hold you accountable. That's the whole point. So first off, make sure you're building your personal life on the foundation of God's Word. Make sure your family is building on that foundation. Then let that foundation extend to your involvement here at church. Those last two values I mentioned have pretty obvious applications. First, I'll beat the drum. I beat often. If you're not involved in a Sunday school class, you're missing something very important in the life of our church. I want to encourage you, as I often do, join one. And once you're there, get to know some people. Invite them to your home. Go out to eat. Pray for them. And when the Bible's open in your Sunday school class, and by the way, your Bible, the Bible should be open in your class. If it's not, let me know. It's not good. <laughs> when the Bible's open in your Sunday school class, see how you can contribute. How can you listen? How can you answer a question? How can you ask a question? How can you share an insight that God spoke to you to help everyone else? And second, if you're not serving anywhere currently, we have a need in our children's and student ministries. Let me say it again. We don't just have an opportunity. We have a need. We're in need of more people to help teach our kids and our students, especially in the fastest growing area of our church, which is our little kids' ministry. I don't know what's in the coffee out there, but people keep having babies. They're falling in love and getting married, thankfully, and having babies. And I'm a part of the problem, apparently. But like, listen, there isn't a one of us who couldn't take a turn serving with our babies, rocking them. In the nursery, 
or teaching toddlers once a month about how great Jesus is. Serving in our kids and student ministries is a great way to ensure that the Word of God is the foundation of our church. Because you're doing exactly what Moses called Israel to do. You're passing on God's Word to the next generation. So let me challenge you again. Let me challenge myself. Let me challenge all of us. Jesus said we have a choice. What will we build this house on? The sand or the rock? Let's build on the rock. Let's pray.